Welcome everyone to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week first caught my ear back in the 90s when he was cranking out hit after hit on the radio. He caught my eye with his great live performances and music videos, as well as his mastery of the fretboard on the guitar. But most of all, what impressed me was his ability to overcome adversity and against overwhelming odds, make the ultimate comeback, not once, but twice. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, Wade Hayes. Wade, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're really happy to have you here, Wade, and we've been looking forward to it. I have a question for you because I know your father was a musician. Yes. But I understand back in college, you weren't sure you wanted to take that career path until you saw the CMA Awards one night. What happened at the CMA Awards that influenced your decision? Rosie, that is exactly right. And I love to tell this story even to this day because it is it's still, you know, uh, true holds true. And and I think other people need to hear it as well. But but as you'd mentioned, you know, I'd been through four years of college and was just trying my best just to survive. I hated it. And I'd been there four years and, and made it barely on scholarships and and grants and student loans and anything you could think of and just knew I, I didn't want to be there and and I loved music but um and I, I knew that it meant a lot to me but I was afraid to pursue it but like you'd said I was watching the CMA awards I believe it was 92 and uh Ricky Skaggs comes on and says these words that changed my life he said all of you uh young artists or entertainers out there that are struggling you need to stick with it because that's what you're called to do and I felt like he was Speaking directly to me. And um, I started making preparations the very next day to move to Nashville. I felt like I had had my answer. You know, I've been struggling and praying and wondering what to do. And, and I, I got my answer. And, and thank goodness it, I did that. It, it all worked out. Well, I, I do believe that God talks through others to reach us. Oh, I, I have no doubt that's where that direction came from. Yeah, and it's also a great way that you followed that direction because, you know, a lot of people back then, what, that's right around the time I was getting into country music. So I, I believe I watched that night as well, Yeah. but not everybody acts on it. So kudos to you for doing that. And then you, you make that move and early in your career, you're kind of burning the candle at both ends, if you will. Yeah. You're playing at night, playing guitar yeah. with Johnny Lee. Yes. You're getting up early in the morning and working yeah. construction. And yeah. first of all, I'm not quite sure how you were able to do that, but at least it kind of helped inspire a song that maybe came out a little bit after that, didn't it? You're exactly right. And, you know, I, I look back on that part of my life and it was so exciting and new everything was exciting and and uh, like you said um well I grew up building houses with my dad he was a contractor so naturally that's why immediately when I moved to Nashville I got a job doing that and I also got a job playing lead guitar for Johnny Lee almost immediately as well and um it was a very difficult time you know because Johnny would get wound up and he would want to play all night long it was nothing for us to be, you know, playing till two or three o'clock in the morning. And uh, he, you know, but it was great. And, and he did not care that I had to be at work at seven o'clock the next morning swinging a hammer. And uh, that was, you know, like I said, it was a very difficult time, but it was one of the best times of my entire life. I loved it. And a pretty good song 
or I, I say uh, a song that, that kind of got everything going for me came out of that, that situation uh, old enough to know better was uh, inspired by um, those, those, that time of my life. Yeah. The, the first time I heard it on the radio, I remember thinking, Oh, this is, this is going to the top of the charts. There were a few songs <laughs> back then that I would hear. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this, I remember, I like it. I love it. Tim McGraw. Oh yeah. Old enough to know better. These are going places. And I'm wondering when you recorded it, did you kind of have that feeling or did you know when you were done recording it that you had something special there? Well, oddly enough, you said that I I knew when uh, see we didn't even have a demo on that song. I had just written those songs with my mentor, Chick Rains, and we just went into the studio with an acoustic guitar and I played this for all the studio guys. And then um, the fiddle player, Rob Hajakis, um, I heard him doing that fiddle lick out in the, in the, we were in the control room and they were in, out in the studio. And I literally went running down the hall and I said, that's it. We've got to have that. And I knew when we started that song and that fiddle came in and that, that slamming drum at the front of us, I said, I knew that we had something special. I didn't know exactly how special, but it was a multi-week number one song. And it was such a blessing, and and I'm so thankful for that. I'm just curious what that's like. I mean, you were a young man, and following <laughs> that, you had three more top ten hits. Your yeah. album, Certified Gold. Can you even describe what that feeling was like to accomplish that at such a young age? Well, I, I will say first of all. Um, I was too young for that to happen. And uh, I, looking back on that, you know, I, I came from a very small town and it was a, a sheltered childhood. And I, you know, we were country kids, a very small community, and I'd never seen anything. I had maybe been out of the state of Oklahoma three times in my entire life before I moved to Nashville. And for all of this to be happening was was too much. And it was too much to absorb. And it it really... Looking back on it now, I wish that it would have gone a little bit slower at the at the start of it, because it was just it was for a, a naive country boy. It was too much. And uh, it was but it was, you know, the most incredible time of my life. And I was very thankful for it. And I still looking back on it. We were just talking about this earlier. It just seems almost unreal that having come from where I did in very meager beginnings you know we didn't have much at all and for all of this to be happening all at once and and hanging out with people that I had seen their names on records that I'd purchased and you know and now I'm getting to hang out with these people and 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 make music with them was just incredible it was a dream come true well what kind of impact did that have on you I'm curious because you're you're now hanging out with maybe some of your idols did yeah. it go to your head or did you just feel like oh my gosh how do I follow this up what was the thought process all of it was was uh how how do I well, you know where do I go from here and it's very difficult to hold on to it it was it was more difficult to hold on than to achieve it but um you know I I was hanging out with people that I grew up listening to and and uh, I'm getting to play shows with Brooks and Dunn, Tracy Lawrence, uh, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, uh, you know, people I idolized. And I'm getting to hang out in the same room and talk to them like, you know, I would my best buddy. It was it was really incredible. And looking back on it, I still 
it was such a wonderful time. And, and like you, you mentioned, it, it was so much and it didn't, it, I don't think it ever went to my head. I always felt like I was going to be caught um, being an imposter mm. because I, I didn't feel like I, you know, I was not in these people's class. I never felt like I was. And I, I knew that, that I was there with them and, and I had hits on the radio, but I never felt like I was in their same class, you know, and I still didn't don't to this day, but, but uh, it was, uh, you know, very thankful to have had that experience. Wait, I have to tell you, you're not the first person that we've heard kind of say that, you know, really? terms, we've even heard people say they felt like an imposter uh, yeah, in, in certain I, situations. So it is interesting, but I also have found that the people who say that are about as far from an imposter as you can get, and you really do belong. And I, I commend you, though, for having that humility and just respect for the situation that you had. And you, you mentioned something just a minute ago that I'd like to pick up on because you kind of touched on how it was, you know, it's hard to get there, but even harder to hold on to. Yes. And I was thinking about, you know, you put out, as Rosie said, all those top 10 singles off the first album. Mm -hmm. And I remember back then in the 90s when when that was really country music's probably biggest time ever, uh, yes. you know, in terms of popularity, sales, everything. So I'm wondering, was there pressure from the record company to to say, OK, let's come out with another one with three or four big singles on it. Let's get it out like yesterday. And if, if so, how did that maybe impact the creative process and all that goes into it? It's as if you were um, being able to tap my telephone from that time, everything you just said was completely accurate. The pressure was unbelievable mm. to get the next record out right now. And the, before we were even ready, you know, we weren't anywhere near ready to get the uh, sophomore project out, but it was the pressure to have it out was immense. And I think all of that comes into play. And plus, you know, you've got personnel changes at your record label that, you know, people that, that made the magic on that first project were all starting to go other places. And, and there was, you know, turmoil at the label. And then all this pressure to have this second record out and uh, it, it all came into play. And we had, you know, the second album went gold as well, but uh, we, we weren't ready to have it out. And it was always a pressure situation from then on. It was very, very difficult to, to match what we did on that first record. There just wasn't enough time. Yeah. I imagine that when you are working under those unnatural circumstances, because let's, you know, if you think about it before your first album, you were just work, you were working on inspiration. I'm not saying you didn't have deadlines, but there was more time to allow the creative process to happen. And your second one, then it's like, no, we got to do it. So I, I feel like that would impact kind of the integrity of what you're trying to do. And because if you start thinking of, oh, I've got to write a hit no. as opposed to what am I feeling? What's in my heart? Again, uh, you know, as if you were there and, and taking notes, everything you're saying again is completely accurate. And plus, you've got the fact that you're touring now and you've got everybody is is wanting, you know, is wanting you to do this or that. And your record label, you're, you're making appearances on radio stations every day, promoting whatever your next single is. And plus, you're touring and staying up half the night you know, playing live shows, 
and it it's just it's unbelievable what you go through and and people that are able to achieve that next level of success and come on and, and go on to be huge stars it's just i i commend them because you have to have everything lined up in the right you know right direction and you have to have your poop in a group and i'm telling you <laughs> there is no there's no room for error and uh, the people that go on to that 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 elite status i i commend them because it is not easy we had a comedian on the show recently who was talking about the fact that you're it's hard to match your first show that you do like for comedy and in your case your first album because you've had all these years building up to it where you were creating it and then the yeah. second one oh you got to do it in a year you know and yeah. and it's hard to live up to that yeah and you don't have a minute to turn around especially if you're a new act and you've got you know all you've got all these obligations everywhere and radio stations to visit and and you know promotional whatever it's it and plus find time to sit down and write a song is for me and I know there are people that can do it that, that are there are much better writers than I am but um, for me that was extremely difficult and you've got to find time to listen to songs and try to find you know outside material. And it's it's extremely difficult. There is so much more to it than people realize. Well, and Wade, the other thing I, I think that was a factor, at least at that time frame, and I kind of mentioned before about how the 90s was was just this huge period for country music. The competition oh. was fierce and yeah. Nashville can, you know, chew people up and spit them out. And oh. you know, again, I was a huge fan and I'd be looking for the next album from somebody and then I can't find them and then they're not on the radio and but yeah. you managed to still put out, you put out a third album, you changed yeah. record companies yeah. you, and your, your career, you know, over that next like decade, 15 years, you're mm -hmm. still putting out great music. You go independent in 09, yeah. touring. And then a couple of years after that, talk about the ultimate curveball. <laughs> you're, you're, you're touring and you're not feeling well and yeah. you go and have some, you know, tests done and, like I said, ultimate curveball gets delivered to you. So can can you talk with us about what happened at that point in 2011 and what that news that ultimately was shared with you was? Yeah, I, I will absolutely be glad to. And I will, before I get into the story, I will tell you this. I feel like it's part of the gig now. The, the fact that my life was spared, and I'm still trying to figure out why, when so many other people that, that they weren't afforded that opportunity. And, and the fact that I'm still around is, is nothing short of a miracle. And I share my story because in the middle of all of the, the first time around with cancer, you're talking about my cancer diagnosis. In 2011, I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And stage four just simply means it's metastasized or it's spread throughout your body. And I had it bad. And I had it about as bad as you can get it. And the first hospital that I was at was just going to put me in comfort care because I had it that bad. And um, Kix Brooks from the, the duo Brooks and Dunn, we, I was on tour with them for a couple of years. And he had heard through my producer, Don Cook, that I was sick and what was going on. And he got me into Vanderbilt. And uh, they initially were going to put me in comfort care as well. And I didn't know this until uh, just a couple of years ago, but a brilliant oncologist named Dr. Jordan Berlin got involved there and he thought he saw a way to fight it. 
And so he lobbied, he literally fought for my life and convinced Vanderbilt to try and do surgeries and chemo and, and beat it. And, uh, they, uh, they went along with him after he, he fought for my life and we ended up, you know, I was in there in and out of the hospital for about three years, uh, battling this stuff. But anyway, in the middle of the, the battle where I, I'd been reading statistics and realized that I probably was not going to make it. And I met a man who had been diagnosed similar to me and he was still alive. And Dr. Berlin introduced me to him for a reason. And I didn't realize it at the time, but meeting somebody who had actually beaten it, who had actually made it when all the statistics were saying that I was not going to make it. Seeing that it could be done and meeting somebody who had been there and beat it was a game changer mm. that that allowed me to get right, right mentally and put my head down and fight. And and uh, that's the reason I share my story. And, and I'll tell everybody, you know, anything they want to hear about it, because it makes a difference just hearing that it can be done, meeting somebody that has done it. And I will also say and I, I thank God in the name of Jesus because he made it painfully clear that he's the reason I made it through it. So that's the reason I share my story. And, and hopefully I can impact somebody the way it did me. Can we clone Dr. Berlin? Because we could really use a few of him around here. <laughs> hey, that guy is amazing. Let me tell you, he, you know, I'm, I'm in my job, I meet a lot of people. And I certainly won't name any names, but think a lot of themselves because they're entertainers. But this man is the most humble person I've ever met in my life. And he is brilliant and he saves people's lives for a living. That's what he does. And he's the most humble person I've ever. And I love him. I consider him a friend and he is the biggest star to me. And I feel honored to know him. And, and yes, I, I think, you said a mouthful. We could use a lot more of Dr. Berlin everywhere. He's an amazing individual. And in addition to all his other talents, Wade, he's kind of a songwriter too, because didn't he inspire <laughs> yeah. a, a pretty awesome song? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, after, you know, I'd been fighting this stuff uh, a few years and, and I'd been through it twice. And after the second round of surgeries and chemotherapies, um, we were sitting in his office and going over my latest blood work. And he says, you know, and I'll clean it up because he's a colorful guy. But he says, hey, is this a big deal? You know, you were stage four and now there's no evidence of the disease whatsoever. And he said, you need to go live your life. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because he was telling me two things I figured out. He was saying, first of all, you know, this is a miracle. You made it. You need to go live your life. And he was also saying, you know, Stage four has a tendency to come back. You need to go live your life. And so I'm not saying that I succeed every day. You know, this life is a struggle for me, just like it is everybody. But I certainly do try to take his words to heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I told my friend Bobby Pinson that, and we wrote that song, Go Live Your Life, um, from his exact words. And, and it ended up getting a big article done in Billboard magazine about it and and. Uh, uh, pharmaceutical company ended up using that my story and part of that song for a big campaign. So go live your life. 
Go chase your dreams We got no way of knowing what tomorrow brings Swing for the fence, take that chance Don't wake up one day to see it's passed you by Go live your life, we got down to it And I realized the truth My regrets were not in what I'd done But what I didn't do So go live your life Go chase your dreams So it, it was a really a wonderful time and, and it was a time in my life when, when definitely I felt the winds of change, you know, things were turning around for me finally after all these years of struggling and, and, uh, you know, the, the, the three years I spent in and out of the hospital, I could tell things were changing finally. And it was a very, it was a very welcome and wonderful time. Well, God bless you, Wade. That's a <laughs> lot to go through. And it, I, it I think God kept you around because you, he's got a message he wants to share through you. Yeah. That I, I song is beautiful. Well, I, I hope so. And and I, I do because, you know, I'm I am. <laughs> I'm a, a human and I'm rotten. You know, I can I can get on your nerves very, very easily. <laughs> I promise you. But um, there are good parts of me, too. And the good parts I want to share and I want to help. And I sincerely want to help somebody who's because I've been there and it it is scary you know, to 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 realize there's a good chance you're not going to be around much longer, and to have to digest that and to deal with that, I if I can help somebody in some way with with those words, then I'm you know hopefully I'm doing my job. I want to. I want to help. We understand that your furry friend named Jack also inspired a song. Can you talk to us about that? That is the truth. And that dog, every word, okay, this, this, it's, it's a story that, you know, all of these stories are intertwined as part of my life. And uh, right before I got found out I was sick, I had met this stray dog in the middle of the night. I was coming home and I pulled into a filling station. It was probably midnight. And uh, there was this mangy, rail thin little dog wandering around. And I left my truck door open to get gas. And I came back to my truck and this dog was sitting in my front seat and he had a pizza crust hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> and uh, I went in and talked to the people at the filling station. They said he'd been there about three days eating out of trash cans and, and he looked rough. So I took that dog home and got him nursed back to health and got him fattened up. And he turned out to be the best dog I'd ever had in my life. And that dog was instrumental in helping me through my chemotherapy. You know, we would walk at least a mile every day. And it was, I believe that dog was instrumental in, in me getting through it as well as I did. And uh, so, you know, naturally, um, he was a big, big part of the healing process. And um, after I'd been through and was, was really back on my feet, I uh, noticed um, on one of our walks that he'd missed a step. And the next day, um, the same thing. So I took him to the vet, and I found out that he had an incurable disease um, 
called degenerative myopathy, and I had a, a less than a year left with him. There was nothing we could do. And I bawled like no grown man should bawl over a dog because he was so dear to me, everything he'd done for me. And that dog was rotten. He was just like me. He's rotten. <laughs> but I loved him. He was my dog and he helped me and I loved him. And uh, so this song started coming out and uh, I couldn't stop it. The song wrote itself because every word of it is true. And, you know, that dog, I, I know that that he was grateful to me for taking him home and, and taking care of him. And I was grateful to him. He did a lot for me and I loved him. So that's, you know, that that's the uh, synopsis of that story. And I love the title, Who Saved Who? It's true. You know, that, that's exactly what our situation was. You know, I, I took that dog home and and, uh, and uh, got him nursed back to health and, and he helped me heal up. So. Yeah, and I will say this, just as one last thing about that too, Wade, is the lyrics are incredible. And it's great to hear that they're, you know, every word's true, including the, the yeah. line about the pizza crust, which which I remember. <laughs> and um, then, hey, and the, the fact that he smiled, that dog could smile on yeah. command. I swear to you, I've got video of him doing it. And when he was trying to be charming or get a treat, or he had done something wrong, he'd break out the smile. And all of a sudden he was no more trouble or, you know, or he'd get a treat it was it was hilarious yeah and it's also for folks who maybe haven't seen it yet one of the best music videos one of the best songs and music videos I've, I've <laughs> oh, ever seen you. it really is it's, it's incredible it's really I appreciate incredible. that very much yeah now Wade one uh other thing we definitely want to make sure that we talk about yeah. is your latest project yeah and I have to say um the title track, I absolutely love the title track because to me, Old Country Still Rocks, it, it's, it's got a vibe that kind of brings me back to some of your earlier material, kind of that that mm -hmm. 90s vibe to it. Yes. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit, but also the what was the selection process like for all of these great covers that you recorded? So let's talk first about the title track and then how did you go about whittling down and making those selections of all those great songs, including a former Pointer Sisters number one hit. Yes. Thank you for knowing that. I love that. But the the, the title track um, was a song that I had written and I, I'd known for a long time that I wanted to do a covers album. But when I wrote this song, and, and thank you for real, you know, that's a very 90s sounding record. That's what exactly what we were trying to do and um, I, I don't know that I'm smart enough to do anything but that. Um, so um, that's that. But we were aiming to do that with this this uh, record. And it is very 90s sounding. And uh, um, after I'd written it, I knew what I wanted to do. But whittling it down to those songs was very difficult. I could have easily done two or three more records with the songs that I had picked out. And there are some people that I left off that were huge influences on me one the biggest one being Gary Stewart he was a big influence on me and I didn't do any Gary on this record which I wish I would have but we just had too many song selections and every one of these songs has a special reason why it's there other than it just was an old you know country song and um there are some more obscure songs on there that people will not readily know but there are some big hits on there as well. You've mentioned the Conway Twitty song, and that is a song that 
I played with my dad in clubs a million times. And I love that record that Conway did. The, the Pointer Sisters cover, Slow Hand. And that was a big record for Conway. And it was one of my favorites that we used to play in the Honky Tonks, my dad and I together. So that's the biggest reason it was on this record. But there are some more obscure things like a tune called Can't Break the Habit, which was a semi-hit from Merle Haggard. That's not a song that everybody would know, but it's a song that I loved from my childhood. And I love the picking on it. And just, it's really a jamming song. So that's the reason it's on there. And it's, it's obscure. Well, I love the fact that you played in the honky tonks with your father and you have all <laughs> these great memories that you're bringing to this next project. Yeah. Well, you would think that that's not really probably the best situation for a 14 year old to be in, which I'll admit, <laughs> uh, I saw some things a 14 year old probably should not have seen and playing in these honky tonks. But I will say this. I never got in any trouble. My dad always knew where I was. I was with him on weekends, you know, when my friends were out running around, drinking beer, racing cars and whatever. I was in a honky tonk with my dad, you know, learning how to play guitar and learning how country music worked. And so, you know, I never gave him any trouble and I kept my grades up. So, it, and you know, it might not have been the worst things. No, it sounds like it worked out quite well. You laid the track for your future, you know. Well, I'm I'm thankful. I, you know, I, and I I mentioned this earlier. You know, feeling like I was out of my class when I was around these people I idolized. But I will be the first to admit that I am not the best singer or songwriter or player. But I genuinely love it, and I love to play. And I love to play lead guitar. I love to write songs, and I I love to sing them. And, and I love the fact that, especially in this environment that we're all living in right now, this world is is so has gotten so difficult for everybody. But if I'm on stage and I can see somebody smile or see them singing along with a song that I wrote and know that their mind isn't on their troubles for a moment, it it helps me as much as it does them. And I love doing that for people. I love making them happy for a minute. And that's the, you know, one of the biggest reasons I don't get involved politically with things because that is not my job and it's not my wheelhouse. It is making people happy and, and entertaining them for a second. I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's what I love to do. Yeah, you, you definitely do it well. And, and one th last quick thing I just want to throw out there was I was recently having a discussion with a, another friend who's a country music fan and one of our most heated debates was who's a better guitar player, you or Brad Paisley? And I was going to the wall that you could outpick Brad. So I just wanted you to know that. My, my <laughs> friend, I'll tell you what, I appreciate that very much. But I will tell you, Brad Paisley is is a very, very skilled guitar player. Mm -hmm. He's gone through college. And I'm, you know, I've got the mindset of, you know, I'm a honky tonker. But Brad is a very skilled and learned guitar player and and i'm i'm afraid he could pick circles around me but you know <laughs> spoken we, it, by a true imposter <laughs> <laughs> no hey that guy is he's incredible he's he's really really good and he's a very intelligent guy too so he's coming at it from that that perspective you know a learned intelligent uh, a path to it you know what, though, Wade, I don't think it matters because I think there's probably and I don't know, Brad, I've never met him, but I wouldn't be surprised to ever hear him say the same thing that you just said. It's it's there's an actual syndrome, the imposter syndrome. Yeah. A lot of 
great, great artists, singers, mm. actors, huh. you know, experience it. So never we never that. know. Well, yeah. I, I I appreciate you saying that. And I, I will definitely check into that. I've never heard that term. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. It's very, it's it's very well known, especially in acting, you know. Well, um, people are afraid that the people are other people are gonna figure out they're they're not as good as they they think they are. You said a mouthful right there. Good grief. Yeah. Good. yeah. yeah and and um, uh, one last thing, Wade, I'll bet you Brad Paisley couldn't make a guitar out of a tree that fell down. Like you I may did. have him beat there. You <laughs> yeah. know, I did grow up with that, that mindset of building things. You know, I've been doing that my entire life and, and uh, I've bought and sold uh, quite a few houses here in Nashville. And, and that's a side hustle that I enjoy very much. And I still have to do manual labor or I'm afraid I would go completely crazy. So I have that that I, I do, and, and I'm actually working on another guitar right now for a friend of mine down in Texas. So that's something I really, really enjoy. So, yeah, take that, Brad. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Wade, my gosh, the time goes by so fast. We love talking to you. And I've thank you for sharing it. your story with not only with us, but all of our viewers, because, you know, you never know who could benefit. You're exactly right, Rosie. You're exactly right, and and I, I hope some of the things we've talked about it has the impact that I'm wanting them to have. And I appreciate you letting me share my story, and I've really enjoyed talking to you guys. And I appreciate you giving me the time. Absolutely, and we thank you. You're so authentic, and we really appreciate you. And look forward to hearing your next album when it comes out. And folks, we thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. I first met him, he was digging through the trash At an all-night filling station He was looking for some scraps And he was frail Like he'd been a while alone He came to the truck He jumped right in the front seat He had a half-eaten pizza crust Clamped in his crooked teeth and he smiled <laughs> Like he was finally home And he's been with me Through hell and back again And I know it's often said But he has been my best friend They call him a rescue But I'm not sure that's true There's times I wonder who saved who. At first it was trying because he was still a pup. There's no telling how much furniture and shoes that he chewed up, but it was worth it. When we got through that, first year because for dang near a decade he's been a constant in my life and he helped pull me through what were my darkest times and I know I'm sure thankful he was here 
He's been with me through hell and back again And I know it's often said But he has been my best friend They call him a rescue But I'm not sure that's true Cause there's times I wonder Who saved who All the roads we've ridden, long miles that we've walked And everything you've seen and heard, I'm sure glad we can't talk I just hope and pray that he can stay at least another ten Cause I know I'm nowhere strong enough for life without him Cause he's been with me through hell and back again And I know it's often said, but that dog has been my best friend. They call him a rescue, but I'm not sure that's true. There's times I wonder who saved who. Oh, Jack, I think I know. Just who saved who?